Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll hear from Kirk McElhern about defective products, including Macs. Jim Galbraith, the lab director at Macworld Magazine, will tell us about his testing of the new iPad, including how hot it runs. And then we'll hear an update on platforms from Apple, Microsoft, and Google from Daniel Arendilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. We have Kirk McElhern. He's, of course, the iTunes guy at Macworld and also proprietor of Mac OS X Hints for Macworld. So he's got 12 jobs well, there. Well, Macworld is the proprietor. I'm just the editor. Okay. We'll define that better. Regardless, you're the guy who sits there every day and tries to make it happen. I'm the guy who puts the words on the pages. That's okay. It's an interesting gig. It sounds like a fun gig. You get to discover a lot of stuff. It keeps it fresh and new and, you know, there are a lot of hints that are submitted that are duplicates or that have already been covered. But, you know, I've been lucky that so far since since I took it over in the beginning of March, pretty much every day there's been at least one good hint. And the nice thing about it is that what you're doing here is harnessing the creativity of loads of Mac users out there. Millions of Mac users, they've discovered things in our own workflow, discovered problems and solutions, and now you can put them all together. And this, of course, site was first founded by Rob Griffiths, what, 10, 12 years ago? 2001, I think. Okay, that was 11 years ago. I was right in the middle. It's a community-driven site, obviously, because it depends on submissions. Um, But one thing that I'm doing is I'm going a little bit further afield to try and find hints elsewhere. I've published a couple of hints which are based on Apple's technical documents, some of which are useful because people don't realize that, you know, if you have this problem with this Apple product, here's what you can do. I've been writing hints of things that have come up in my work, things that I've discovered as well. The majority of the hints are submitted by others, but I've been trying to find as many things as possible that aren't in the submission queue. I bet there's going to be a lot of stuff about Mountain Lion when that comes out because we have all those developers who've learned things about it who can't say anything now because they're under a non-disclosure agreement and Tim Cook will come to their house and kill them if they say the wrong thing. But once Mountain Lion is out, you're going to get a lot of rich tips there will help. Let's move into the subject of quality control. Always an issue with consumer electronics products. We know that a certain portion of the consumer electronics gear that you buy will fail out of the box. You turn it on, it doesn't work, or within days or weeks after you set it up, it won't work. And we'll get into Apple stuff later. You know, Apple is not innocent here, as many of you know. But other companies have problems with products, and the one you encountered was with this Logitech keyboard. It's a solar keyboard, meaning that ambient light is sufficient to power it. You don't need batteries, and you don't need a charging station. Yeah, the the idea is great. It's pretty much like the wired Apple keyboards today. The keys are very similar. The size is similar. The difference is that up above the F keys, you get about about an inch and a half of solar panels. I think there's four of them all together. I got one of these in August right after when it came out last year, and I thought it was brilliant. I mean, here you have a wireless keyboard. You don't have to worry about batteries at all. And as you say, it's the ambient light that feeds it. And in my case, in, in my office, there's enough light that it was never under 100%. 
a keyboard as it is doesn't use a lot of power, but this was constantly at the highest level of power. Well, this was in August, and then in November, all of a sudden, it started having a problem. Every two or three times I pressed the space bar, it wouldn't send a space. Logitech quickly replaced it, and of course, there was a slight problem with the replacement. They sent a new one. Now, this keyboard works. It's a wireless keyboard. It's not Bluetooth. It works using Logitech's little, what do they call it? They have a special name for their adapter. Yes, it's called unifying. It means it's a very small USB stick, and it has the transmission and reception, but it's very tiny. I mean, you could lose it real easily. I've lost them from time to time. You have to spend like $10 to get a replacement. But yeah, it's very small. It serves for a number of their more recent devices. If you have your older keyboards and mice, it won't be working because they have, I guess, different transmission receiving frequencies. Right. Okay. So when they sent the exchange, the dongle, the unifying receiver, didn't work. Now, this wasn't a problem because I had the one from the first one. And they didn't even ask for me to send back the keyboard and the second unifying receiver that didn't work. So that was okay. And I used this. This was November, late November. We're in March, and I think it was early March, that all of a sudden I had the same problem with the replacement keyboard. The space bar wouldn't always send spaces. And this happened suddenly. This wasn't one day there were one or two spaces that weren't sent. It was just all of a sudden it just didn't work anymore. And I contacted Logitech support. And I'll give them credit for their support being efficient and, and relatively quick and all that. And they said, okay, we need to pick it up and we'll exchange it for you. And I said, well, look, I don't want an exchange. I'd like a refund. They were fine with that. They didn't question it. They paid me back. But I just have this feeling that Here's a nice idea, this wireless keyboard, this wireless solar keyboard, and two of them failed. Now, I know two other people who bought this keyboard, and each of them had the keyboard fail at least once so far as well. We're talking about something here that really isn't very reliable over the long term. Now, I have one of those keyboards here, too. I use it briefly. I found the keyboard feel mushier than Apple's little bit. Maybe it's a subtlety. It's me. It's not anybody else. It's very subjective. Didn't like it as much. Not as fluid with the keys. So I went back to Apple's aluminum keyboard and stuck it away. Maybe I'll try it again. As far as unifying receivers concerned, I have a Logitech Performance MX mouse, very highly rated. And the reason I like a Logitech mouse is it's got this ergonomic form factor where it fits into your hand. It's not putting your hand on top of a flat thing, but it kind Mm -hmm. of is set if you have a right hand, of course, if you're right-handed in terms of your mousing, you'd have to get one that works with both hands or a left-handed version, which very seldom do you find. But as far as your right hand is designed, that you can grip into it and feel more comfortable right. in moving your hand around. It's very nicely designed. Works very well, mm-hmm. except that the first one would lose its connection or start acting flaky. Okay? So right. I got Logitech to send me a second one that works okay. In the meantime, I've had... Amongst my experiences with Logitech unifying receivers, one go bad. Mm-hmm. I also have a Logitech 890, which is the universal remote, one of their universal remotes. Really nice design. The first one I got, it's got a mini USB port. And the reason you have that is in order to program the device, you go onto a Mac or PC and use their software to configure what devices you turn on with a single press. Say you want to turn on your TV, well, you also turn on your, maybe you want to turn on your Blu-ray player, maybe you want to turn on your home theater sound system or your cable box, whatever. You can set up this very intricate combination of what goes on, what goes off, et cetera, et cetera, when you turn something on for a particular function, like watch TV, watch a DVD, turn on Apple TV, turn it off, et cetera. Well, 
I maybe used that device in terms of programming four or five times because I was setting up different review devices, switched the cable TV provider, that kind of thing. After four or five times, the USB port was broken, mini USB port. This is what you find on lots of devices, you know. It's a very common charging connection port. You have it on digital broke, cameras. Broken because it's poorly designed, you mean? It's poorly designed. It broke off. Right. Okay. As I said, it's common. Lots of devices have them. All your digital cameras, almost all of them have the mini USB port. They've yeah. been suggesting Apple might go that direction instead of having this dock. They'd have yeah, to go that's... to mini USB to meet European regulations about everybody having the same way of charging a device so you don't end up with 12,000 charging bricks. Right. So whatever. Point is here, bad quality control. I had the device less than a year. So I wrote an email to Logitech support. They sent me the entire unit replacement, not just the unit itself, but everything. It has all sorts of accessory devices All the accessories on. and parts, yeah, yeah. It's just a full box. Right. Really good. But why did it fail so quickly? And why are Logitech devices... And I'm worried about that. Now, there are things about Logitech devices I really like. The Performance MX has one fatal flaw that's not reported in any of the reviews of this product. It doesn't show you when the battery's going down. Mm-hmm. So it just stops working. Right. The battery needs to be recharged. How do you know... It stops working. We have Kirk McElhern, who never stops working. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Say, wouldn't it be great if that computer keyboard sitting on your desk also worked with your iPhone? Sending a text message would be lightning fast. This is exactly the idea behind the Matthias One keyboard for iPhone and Mac. You just need to experience it once to see how incredibly fast and convenient it really is. It's also available for the PC and BlackBerry. Visit onekeyboard.com slash TNO. Once again, onekeyboard.com slash T-N-O. You know, we develop trust in the people we know, but we don't really know someone we can see. That's why I recommend GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It's a simple online meeting service. It's GoToMeeting by Citrix. All it takes is a webcam and a click to instantly collaborate. You can start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today with GoToMeeting. You can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realist, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Don't answer it! 
If fear strikes your heart when the phone rings, knowing it may be another bill collector, it's time for you to call Zero Debt in 90 Days, 800-477-9256. Settlements, bankruptcy, and attorneys are not the answer and may end up costing you up to 10 times more than necessary. Listen, if you're already in debt, does it make sense to get buried in another payment plan? Zero Debt in 90 Days gets you out of debt in 90 days guaranteed without a payment plan and without attorneys or going to court. Get the fastest relief from debt on the planet when you call 800-477-9256. If you have debt with the IRS, credit cards, student loans, or a foreclosure, we can help at Zero Debt in 90 Days, and we are the only organization to provide written guarantees on the results. Go to ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. That's ZeroDebtGuarantee.com. Or call now for free information, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256. Did you know that thousands of industrial toxins, including aluminum, heavy metals like mercury and lead, and even nuclear radiation, have contaminated the air, food, and water supply and are lodged inside your body? These contaminants are poisoning your body from the inside out. No, the government doesn't care, nor will they save you. Do nothing, and these accumulated toxins may slowly lead to degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease, or cancer. Take charge of your health before it's too late. Liquid Zeolite is the best natural all-round remedy to safely and effectively Effectively remove all kinds of toxins from your body. Use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com for fatigue, headaches, heavy metal poisoning, memory loss, and joint pain. Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee and is available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800-880-9976. That's 800-880-9976. 100% safe and amazing. Try Liquid Zeolite today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. Exploring product defects in consumer electronics devices. And we were focusing on Logitech to start. Myself and Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy at Macworld, proprietor, no, not proprietor, chief editor, chief editor, editor-in-chief or supervisor or manager or cook and bottle washer of macosxhints.com. And that's really a good gig to get. I envy that. That sounds like a really fun gig to get. Anyway, looking at these devices, as you see, my experiences with Logitech have been mixed. When they work, they work well. When they don't work, it's a problem. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Apple products because as we've discussed on this show maybe too many times, I've had problems with a lot of Apple products in the past year or so. Now, that's an interesting thing here. Now, over the years, we've had discussions on the show and on technightowl.com where we've looked into whether – Apple products are suffering from bad quality control. But, you know, there have always been troublesome parts on Apple gear. I mean, the first Mac, 128K, 1984, the power supply constantly failed. You go yeah. through the years, there's always a part or two parts, power supply. Or supplies, a particular model, a particular, particular model that model, has like lots of yeah. iMac G5. The iMac G5, they had some of them with power supply failures. So it's something. If it isn't one thing, it's another. Yeah. Okay, so you've had some problems with Apple Gear. Let's go into each segment and see where we go with it. 
Max, what problems have you had? Well, I won't go through all the problems I had with my iMac last year, but when I replaced it with a Mac Mini, pretty much right out of the box, I had freezes with it. Since it was right after being purchased, it didn't have to go in for repairs. It was just exchanged, and the exchange resolved the problem. So it was clearly – it was probably a problem with the video card given the type of um, error message that I was seeing in console. Just recently, a new Apple TV, right out of the box, hook it up on the TV, connect to my network, start listening to music. 20 minutes later, boom, it doesn't see the network anymore. And for the first day, I could get it to see the network for a couple of minutes several times. And then the next day, after I restored it, it wouldn't see the network at all. So that was exchanged. In fact, I just got that, and I haven't been able to unbox it yet to hook it up to make sure it works. But these are two products that are you know brand new, right out of the box, that didn't work. On the one hand... We're used to things suffering from wear and tear, and by wear and tear in electronics, it could be the number of times they're turned on and off or simply the heat that, you know, over time weakens certain resistors or soldering points or things like that. But here are, you know, two new products out of the box, one a computer and one an Apple TV that failed relatively quickly. And that, that to me is more surprising than the kind of problem that you were talking about with the Logitech devices, you know, that fails after a year. It's, it's not something that I'm familiar with with Apple products in the past. As you said, there have been problems, but they would come over time. They wouldn't come, you know, the first day or the first week you owned them. Well, in my case, I've encountered some pretty severe problems. My son got a 2008 black MacBook, okay? And it worked well, except he's had two hard drive replacements. He had the logic board replaced. He had the LCD display replaced and maybe one or two other repairs. I think the keyboard had to be replaced. So just about everything, he has virtually a brand new MacBook. Now the last <laughs> Brand new that was accumulated over time, yeah. Sure. Now, the last problem occurred with the LCD display just outside of warranty, like a month or two. And I had to call Apple and ask for, as they say, executive intervention. Anyone can do this. You don't have to be a journalist. What you say is, I want someone to escalate this problem to management to see if they could do something. And in this particular case, someone called me back and they said, you know what? They looked into the problem. They said, this is awful. I mean, just a few minutes earlier, they had a major repair. And that's when he had the logic board replaced. And right. the woman who called me said, this is really bad. I will take care of it for you. Don't worry about it. And so my son, who, by the way, who lives in Madrid, Spain, got a letter from Apple in Spanish saying, in so many words, which I cannot read, but he could, <laughs> bring it in. We'll fix it. No problem. He still has a black MacBook. Now, it's questionable whether Mountain Lion will support that particular model because of the graphics chip. So it's possible this year Grayson gets a new computer. Well, that would be good for him. Sure. He probably wants me to pay for it. Well, that would be expected, wouldn't it? That would be better for him. But I can get him something even better for less money. Isn't that True. amazing? Sure. True. Especially if you buy it here and not in Spain, because as we know, prices in Europe are much higher than prices in the U.S. Well, he'll be here in August. So yeah. maybe when he comes here and he goes into his room and he checks his desk, he'll find something different. There. Ah, that's nice. But don't repeat that. I won't tell him. I won't okay. tell him. And I will get Apple Care. By the way, in yes. the case of Grayson's MacBook, knowing he'd be taking it to Europe, traveling around the world with it, I did get him Apple Care. Three years yeah. policy. Okay? And, and Otherwise, also, he'd be messed up right I now. I think that also helps 
in the way you got that reaction that they were willing to make that repair out of warranty as well? Well, that's the larger question of extended warranty. Should we be having extended warranties? And the answer is you shouldn't have to for a regular Mac, stationary Mac. We understand why you do, because you're getting one-year warranty, 90 days for telephone support. And for a Mac, you expand it to three years. Now, for a desktop Mac, the chances that it will fail between the second and third year aren't very high. And well, so usually the failures happen yes in the first no. year. It's, it's Okay, uh, I, a few months ago I wrote an article for Macworld about this. Sure. You know, when is it worth buying AppleCare? And I, I certainly agree with your first point that for a laptop it's almost necessary because it's being carried around. It's moving I'm talking lot. about desktop. But okay. even for a desktop, um, I buy AppleCare contracts for several reasons. The first being that I have no Apple Repair Center anywhere near where I live. So one repair – they pick it up and ship it back, and, and I've made the cost of the contract. But another reason that I really like to stress to people is if you're the kind of person who's going to keep a Mac for a couple of years and then sell it used, if you can sell it used with an Apple Care contract, you're much more likely to sell it, and you'll get a little bit more money for it. Because That's only if you sell it in less than three years. Right. That's why I said. If you're someone who changes every couple of years, then having the Apple Care contract is a plus to, to someone who's going to buy it used to know that they're getting something guaranteed. Personally, I tend to keep Macs about two years because you know I've got to keep up with the newer technologies. And this always allows me to say to people, okay, not only was it used correctly and it's in excellent shape, but you've got a guarantee on it. So for that alone, if you're not going to keep a Mac for five years, it could be a good idea. Well, okay. That's an interesting point there. Also, if you think that you're going to have a lot of reason to contact Apple for help, remember, after that 90 days, it's $49 per incident unless you can demonstrate to Apple that the problem is theirs due to a product defect. Right. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're the kind of user who needs help in the sense that you need to call them for them to explain how to do something, we're not even talking about troubleshooting because this is part of the AppleCare contract. They will tell you how to do things. And that's actually quite useful. Another thing to consider is what is the percentage of the cost of the AppleCare contract compared to the cost of the computer? If you buy an entry-level iMac it's the cost of the contract because the contract's the same price for all the iMac models. That's so right. And we'll get into that pricing and why things are figured that way in a moment. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This, folks, is a revelation. No more wall warts for charging your USB devices, including your iPads, iPhones, iPods, Android cell phones, USB chargeable cameras, and more. Power to you replaces the standard AC outlet and gives you two high-power USB ports and two AC outlets. To get one, go to MaxSales.com slash power to you. That's MaxSales.com. Power number two, letter U. 
Check it out. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Do you know which 37 crucial food items are going to fly off the shelves when the next disaster hits? If you don't, you and your family may be without food and waiting in long food lines after a big disaster strikes. You would be surprised how many people don't have these food items right now. 123survivalplan.com has set up a For Patriots Only video with inside information on the 37 food items that will sell out first when the next disaster strikes. The video on 123survivalplan.com has crucial information you and your family need to prepare for any disaster, natural or man-made. And you won't have to be afraid of going hungry or being sent to a FEMA refugee camp. See the video that over one million other smart patriots have already seen in the last four months. Prepare now. Go to 123survivalplan.com and learn which 37 food items you should hoard. Easy to remember. 123survivalplan.com Again, that's 123survivalplan.com Extend your life with Are you or someone you know suffering from high blood pressure, cholesterol, or chest pains? Are you looking for a more natural way to overcome these health challenges? Extendivite is made from herbs known to help with these symptoms. Made from garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, and four other herbs, Extendivite goes to work detoxifying heavy metals and killing fungus and virus to enhance your overall health. For only $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid, you too can begin on your path to better health. For more information, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend your life. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
Do you need Apple Care or an extended warranty on your consumer electronics hardware? Good question. You have Kirk McElhern, author and writer for Macworld and elsewhere. Of course, he's the iTunes guy. He is editor of Mac OS X Hints. All sorts of good gigs. The question here is whether you need the extended warranty. Apple has a policy called Apple Care for an iPhone, for an iPad, it's a two year plan. For right. a Mac, it's three year plan. For computers, plan. it's a three year plan. And we we're talking about the percentage of the retail price that you pay. And remember, like any insurance policy, you're betting when you buy this, you're going to have a problem and you're going to need the help. Right. Apple is betting when they sell it to you that you'll never have a problem and this is pure profit to them. Exactly. So it's now, a betting game and you have to figure, what are my odds of losing? If you call Apple a lot for help, if you call Apple, you need to ask them constant questions that are beyond the nature of just maybe a product defect or something. After 90 days, you don't get the free support anymore. You have to pay for it. So what do you do? Or maybe you go to the Genius Bar over at an Apple store. Maybe you don't live near one. You don't want to waste time scheduling that appointment. You just want to pick up the phone and call Apple. So you're paying for that service. It may be worth it. For a mobile computer where you're taking it everywhere, it may be worth it. Probably a lot more than a desktop, but if you're in a situation like Kirk where he's not able to just run to the neighborhood Apple store, well, it's worth it for you. Yeah, as, as a professional, this is what I use to make my living. So not only is it a business expense, but I can't afford to be without a computer. Now, I always have a second computer, um, a desktop and a laptop just for that contingency. But when I do need repairs, I want it to happen as quickly as possible. We were talking about price, and I was just looking on the Apple website. So if you buy an iMac, the Apple Care contract is $169. Now, this doesn't matter whether you bought the entry-level iMac at $1,200 or the top of the line at $2,000 plus added an extra disk or memory or whatever. So the more expensive your Mac, the lower the percentage. Another thing to consider is if you buy, say, a Mac Mini and a Thunderbolt display or a Mac Pro and a Thunderbolt display, you buy the Apple Care on the computer and the display, if it's purchased at the same time, is also covered under that cost. Right, but displays seldom need that service in the first three years after the original contract is up, the one-year policy is up. I would think that it's a very good idea um, to be protecting it. So it's your recommendation regardless if you're not near an Apple store, because if you have a problem with, a, with an iMac and you can carry it or drive to a local Apple store, it's a lot easier than it is for me where I got to set up shipment. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is if you're buying a computer and a monitor, so this would be a Mac Mini or a Mac Pro plus a Thunderbolt display, it makes it more worthwhile because you're protecting both of them. And I think even if you bought two displays, I think it would cover both of them as well. It also covers y your mouse and your keyboard or, or trackpad and all those sorts of things. Um, it covers anything you buy with it. So if you add RAM, if you add a hard disk, all of this is covered. So now, I, think I understand with RAM – if you buy RAM separately, most companies these days, respectable companies, give you a lifetime warranty with RAM. I wouldn't worry about they that. They do. Yeah. They do. And, so I wouldn't worry. So if I go to MaxSales.com and I'm buying from Larry O'Connor and he's selling the RAM for half the price of Apple, I, I know say, if five years from now, I need to get that replaced. He'll do it, you know, any of these companies. Now, as far as the Mac Mini, it's $149, which seems right. like a hefty price unless you consider, you know what? This is three years. I might call Apple two or three times. And if anything fails in the Mac Mini, it's 
other than the RAM, it's pretty hard to fix. It's you know I opened a Mac Mini a couple of years ago to put in a hybrid drive um, to replace the the original hard drive. It was really really hard. Um, the newer model apparently is a little bit easier. You can change RAM on the newer model very easy. For the past couple of years, you've been able to. But if you need to change a hard drive yourself, it's it's a bit of work. It's not something I'd recommend if you're not used to opening computers. So if you need to do something like that, you're going to have to pay someone to do the change for you. You know, if your hard drive dies and you want to replace it, you're going to have to go to a shop and they're going to have to fix it for you. And, you know, that costs whatever it costs. It will so, definitely cost you more than Apple Care. So if that fails, anything fails during that three-year period, especially on a Mac Mini, you know it will cost you more than, than Apple Care policy. Yeah, and, and also bear in mind that you could configure a Mac Mini, um, while the base model is $600, you could configure a Mac Mini to more than $1,800. Oh, if you, yeah. If you had the I'm doing it right now, by the way. I'm at $1,649. I haven't added Apple Care yet. You haven't added RAM, though. You haven't added RAM. No, okay. So, so I, yeah, as soon as RAM, I add RAM, it is $1,849. And then when I add Apple Care, okay, it's going to be $2,000. Right. So basically, and, but, you can take a Mac Mini starting at five ninety nine. Take a Mac Mini at five ninety nine. Right. Now, you add everything on it. It's a two thousand dollar computer. We can even go higher than that because if you check off everything, a display, a keyboard, uh, a trackpad. Uh, a super drive, an external super drive. You go for the SSD plus an internal hard drive and Apple Care. It comes to thirty two hundred bucks. Wow. And, I'm sorry, thinking sorry, here, that, you know, if I buy a fully equipped display. iMac, that top line model, okay, with all the options, processor, maxed out memory, 16 gigabytes of RAM, forget, you know, the keyboard, extra keyboard comes with the keyboard and mouse, forget the, the extras, but other than Apple Care, and then I add the optional optical drive, solid state drive, I add an optional solid state drive. So you have two drives. You have Yep. A regular, traditional SATA 2 drive, and you have the solid-state drive, which could be your startup drive, so all your apps are running on it, get maximum performance. Suddenly, your iMac that maxes out two grand from Apple becomes a $4,000 computer with Apple Care. Yeah. Plus tax. Plus, well, yeah, plus tax. So, yeah, Apple Care uh, on its own, when you look at the price, it it's a certain price, but when you the more you put into your Mac, the lower the percentage of your total price that Apple Care represents. You, this maxed out iMac that you're talking about, the the Apple Care at 169 is what two percent of the total price. Exactly. So it's, I th I think it's worth it in my okay. situation where I don't have anything local to get repairs. Um, I agree with you that in all situations for a laptop, it's worth it. I've never considered buying one for an iPad, an iPod, or an iPhone? Well, the deal with the iPhone is you drop it and it breaks, they'll replace it. Yeah. Up once, of course, once or twice. Once, right, right. You know, if you keep dropping it, they're not going to say, um, you know, that's no good. But you have to pay yeah. $49. So yeah. in a sense, the most you can ever pay on an iPhone with the current contract if you drop it, whatever, it gets lost, whatever, the most you can ever pay to replace it is $149. Now, understand something. 
here is that cell phone providers also have extended warranties, but they're worse. Like AT&T will charge you $10 a month for an iPhone plan, $120 a year. They will still charge you $99 to replace the unit. And they, and I'll tell you where I ran into a situation where I got an iPhone 4S. According to Apple, you buy an iPhone or an iPad, I think it's 30 days you have to get your Apple Care protection. Apple does insist on the opportunity to look at the device and make sure you haven't split it into smithereens. You know, they want to basically ensure something that looks good. Mm-hmm. But AT&T told me I couldn't do that. And they ah. said the Apple changed the policy. And I said, here it is. And they yep. still stood their ground. So when I got the phone, I bought it from AT&T, by the way. When they sent me the questionnaire by text message, I wrote back saying I couldn't recommend their support because of the fact that your salesperson lied. And this is right. what he lied about. This is why he lied. And that's why I would never recommend it. But just to warn everybody, if it comes to a point of buying something from a third party, look at Apple's own policies first. We have Kirk McElhern, author and commentator. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? More important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. 
If you are a sales professional and you love to help people and make money, stop everything and listen to me now. InspectorAudit.com is hiring brokers nationwide. InspectorAudit.com is the primary source for exposing all loan-related bank and servicing fraud. If you're passionate, driven to succeed, and you want to earn real money, then we want you. Call InspectorAudit.com right now at 855-552-9932. InspectorAudit.com, 855-552-9932. Commissions paid daily. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. We all know the importance of having storable foods, but what about when the food runs out? What then? For real food independence, you need a supply of non-hybrid seeds. Introducing the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. The Survival Seed Vault is sealed for freshness and includes 20 varieties of easy-to-grow non-hybrid seeds for only $37.95. For less than $40, you've got real food independence. And the Survival Seed Vault includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions. Imagine the barter power you'll have when the food supply does collapse. Right now, save $9 instantly when you buy three or more Survival Seed Vaults from MyPatriotSupply.com. Same-day shipping on all orders plus free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness products at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Kirk McElhern. He does, of course, Mac OS X Hints for Macworld. At hints.macworld.com is the fastest address to get there. Yep. He publishes your hints and his advice and wisdom, and you add it all together, and there's nothing you won't know about the Mac experience after you spend a little time in there. He's also the iTunes guy. We were talking about the quality or lack thereof of consumer electronics products, and I don't know that we've solved anything. We see that Logitech obviously has problems with that solar keyboard. We see, for example, that over the years, Macs fail from time to time for one reason or another. And there's no indication whether they're better or they're worse. I don't want to say. I don't think I'm in a position to come up with that. I know my experiences have been mostly good. My son's mostly bad. I had one power book, Mac power book from the mid-90s, the 5300CE. This is, by the way, the same computer that they used in the movie Mission Impossible. This is the same computer that Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day used to save the planet because he was able to communicate wirelessly without Wi-Fi, by the way. We didn't have Wi-Fi then, I don't think. To an alien computer system and send them a computer virus. All right. with this power book. But power I have book. to tell you, though, this power book had lots of problems. Apple recalled it once for repair of some logic board-related issues. I sent it back to Apple three or four times because the sealant around the screen bezel would keep leaking 
Oh. And so the screen would look like it was melting? No, just the bottom portion. You see the substance kind of coming up from it. It looks like a horror film where you see... Like you a know, chill, yeah. You see this little substance or something like that. Green slime. You see green slime, yes, just like yep. Ghostbusters. It would come out, this little slime. It was kind of a amber slime, as a matter of fact. An amber well, ghost, I than guess. Green slime. Yeah, it was amber slime. I sent it back three or four times. Finally sold to somebody. And a year later, I said, what happened? He said, well, I had a problem with it. I sent it back to Apple. And they fixed it, but I got disgusted with it, so I sold it to somebody else. Yeah. And I got back most of what I paid you for it, so I didn't really lose in the deal. That's good. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the executives in a local Mac user group, so I thought that you know he'd be something special. So if yeah. he had to go through this, you can't imagine how a regular customer yeah. might have gone through this. Yeah. It's frustrating, and I think you know. It's the listeners should understand we're not singling out Apple and or Logitech. It just turns out that we've had problems with devices from these companies. Um, lots of computer electronics devices have problems and fail. And you know, I'm fortunate. I'm looking around me in my office. I've never had problems with my telephones. Um, my stereo gear has always worked relatively well. External hard drives, scanners, headphones, you know, I haven't had a lot of problems with those things. Obviously, computers are a little more delicate than, say, an amplifier or a pair of headphones. But I guess it's just, you know, it's just part of the cost of doing business, both for the company and for the user. Now, I had one problem with a Panasonic plasma TV several years ago. Now, Panasonic is rated as one of the most reliable TVs you can get. Within about 15 months after we got the TV, and it has a one-year warranty on parts and I think two years on the plasma panel, within one year, three months, 15 months, the power supply failed. Because it was so close to the end of the warranty, I got Panasonic to pay most of the $400 cost to replace that part. Mm -hmm. But I had to go through a couple of levels of support to get them to do it, and it took them a while before I saw the money. Yeah. So I, I've been pretty lucky with TVs. I haven't had any major problems with them. I did when I, when I bought an HD TV some years ago. The very first one didn't work and had to be exchanged. And here we come back to what I was saying before about you know the Mac and the Apple TV. Because when we do, we know this that when you have problems with this, it's often in the first week. Or it's after several years. Generally, in that period after, once you've started using it and it's being used regularly, it's pretty rare that you get something if it's not at the very beginning or after something gets worn out. In some ways, it's more frustrating when it happens in the very beginning, but that's when the device is actually tested. No matter what sort of quality control a company has, it's not until it's in real use that the device can actually you know, do what it's got to do and, and you can find out if it works the way it's supposed to. So in the end, maybe you should get the extended warranties on a lot of products. I wouldn't, though, buy it on everything. I mean, you go to a consumer electronics store, you check out, and they say, on that new printer, wouldn't you like an extended warranty? And I kind of think, usually they'll lie about the warranty that you have. You get a year, you get two years. Usually, fixing the printer is never worth the cost of replacing it. But if a printer is going to fail... I think it's going to fail in the first year, and I wouldn't worry about it. And I yeah. think for any of these devices, if you're going to keep them for a while, you've already covered the cost of some basic repairs. You know, maybe in a laser printer, you know, you're spending 500 or $1,000 or more for one of these things. 
then, yeah, I guess there'll be situations where you might want to fix the thing. But yeah. most inkjet printers, it's not worth it. $49 for an inkjet printer is selling me a $15 or $20 extended warranty. You know why? It's a big profit motive it is. for them. But and sometimes the salesperson is getting a spiff on the extended warranty. Yes. Sell That's- the extended warranty because you're going to get a spiff. You're going to get yep. a little extra in your paycheck. So they'll do it. But the point is here... My advice, and I think your advice, would be the same. Maybe for a personal computer, but otherwise resist it. Another thing that people should do is check the conditions of your credit card or your home insurance. Now, my bank offered me a credit card last year, and one of the things that in the sort of package where you know you, I don't know how much I pay a year, it's not a lot, but one of the things that they offered was extended warranties on anything I've bought with the credit card up to five years. In other words, after the initial warranty is out and up to five years. Now, a number of credit cards may offer this or even home insurance or you know, a variety of different types of things offer this as a sort of a, a bonus and, and, a, and a plus. So you might actually be covered for something without realizing it. Now, in my case, this covers appliances, um, things like TVs and stereos. I don't think it covers computers, but it covers you know, the kinds of things you're going to buy a new refrigerator – do you really need to get an extended contract or are you already covered somehow that you don't realize? And you have to judge the repair record of those devices. I can't imagine getting an extended warranty on a refrigerator. I assume I set it up and it's going to be working for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I assume with a TV set, the same thing. I'm going to get 10 years use out of it before I have to worry about it. And after the initial purchase price, if it breaks within those 10 years... Well, at that point, I've saved money for maybe the first six or seven years. I'll pay for it if I want to keep the set. You know, I I recently bought a bunch of appliances when I moved, and talking to the guy who delivered them and installed them and set them up, um, I was pointing out that many years ago, you know, refrigerators and washing machines and all that would last 15 years. And he said, just doesn't work anymore like that. That the, the quality of the parts isn't as good. And you're lucky to get five years out of something. And he wasn't trying to sell me an extended warranty because I already told him, you know, I didn't need it because of what I had with the credit card. But it turns out that these devices just aren't as good as they used to. You know, when we were younger, a fridge lasting 10 or 15 years was normal. Um, today, it seems to be the exception from what I'm hearing. Of course, everything, a lot of this depends on which brand you're getting. If you buy a better brand, you're going to pay more and it's going to last longer. So there's always, you know, you get what you pay for involved in this. That's the only area where consumer reports might have value, which is frequency of repair of products. You check the reliability. Because right. those are based on surveys among real people. That's right. And speaking, by the way, of Apple products, I'm going to give you this survey to close it out. There's a story in USA Today this week. It says that More than 55 million homes with at least one iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Mac computer in the U.S., that's half of the homes in the United States own at least one Apple product. And one in 10 homes that are not currently in that group plan to buy some kind of Apple product in the next year, which means what? That next year it's going to be 60% of U.S. homes? That's pretty impressive. Own an Apple product? Yeah. Uh, I would say the majority of these are iPods um, because that's when the sort of Apple explosion began. Well, yes. But right now it's iPhone. Right now it's iPad. It's right. kind of interesting to thinking that not too many years ago, Apple was the beleaguered company. Beleaguered. That was the word. Yep. <laughs>
And now, yeah, it started with the iPod and it's gone to the iPad and the iPhone and the Mac is the next one that's going to start really. I mean, we've seen growth in the Mac area, but it's going to increase, I think, dramatically over the next few years. Especially now, you know, a lot of people are giving a thumbs down to Windows 8 from what they've seen. Kirk McElhern, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, you've said about six times already on Macworld and on macOS 10 Hints. Um, also on my website, com, And in Macworld Magazine, if you're a subscriber to the print magazine, that still exists, you know, those magazines on paper. Indeed. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene. Have a good day. Coming up next on the show, we'll feature Jim Galbraith, the lab director at Macworld Magazine. We'll talk about that hot and juicy iPad. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The lab director of Macworld, Jim Galbraith, is here. And he comes at a time when there's been a little bit of controversy over an Apple product. Who could have thunk it? <laughs> you know, last year, I guess, or even now it must be two years ago, we had Antenna Gate where if you held the iPhone 4 the wrong way, well, signal strength would drop. And we learned later that most mobile handsets have a problem to one degree or another. Only Consumer Reports magazine only recognizes the iPhone 4 as an offender. But speaking of that, so what was it now? A week, 10 days ago, we hear the story that maybe the new iPad is running a wee bit too hot. And well, so, yeah... Definitely hotter. Whether it's too hot, I don't know. Can't cook an egg on it. Uh, Unlike some of those notebook computers. In our test with the uh, IR thermometer, we saw that the iPad, the new iPad, was about 10 degrees warmer overall than the uh, iPad 2. Uh, not uncomfortable at all, uh, but definitely warmer. You can feel it. We felt it as we were passing it back and, back and forth as we were running our tests. Like, eh, feels a little bit warmer, feels a little bit heavier. Okay, I wanted to be specific about the testing because the disparity between your tests and the tests run by Consumer Reports seems to be tremendous. Now, you ran into a top temperature of 100, right? Yeah. Okay. Consumer Reports says it's 116 degrees in their tests. So let me ask you, how did you test the temperature? Under what conditions did you run this to get 
maybe what you felt was a realistic indication of what we get in normal use and service. Well, I was playing uh, a, a game and played it for about 20 minutes. It was unplugged. So we use, uh, we use a test here called GL Benchmark that, uh, that gives us frame rates uh, when playing video games uh, on the iPad. So we just set up a bunch of tests to run in a row really work the uh, the graphics processor and the processor in there and uh, get it heated up as good as we could. And yeah, uh, taking, using our IR thermometer at different points in the, uh, on the, on the back of the iPad, we were able to get a peak of about a hundred and down to like 86, something like that. Uh, different parts, um, 80, yeah, 86. And the, the hottest part was opposite uh, on the long edge opposite the battery. So if I did feel like it was uncomfortable, I could easily turn it around and have that part farther away from my, uh, from my body. Um, anyway, I've never seen it. I've never felt it be uncomfortable. Just uh, warm, basically on a cold day, you put your finger there. Hey, this ain't bad. If I was in a sauna or <laughs> just, you know, in a hot room, uh, but in the climate controlled Areas that we work here at MacWorld, uh, it, it was absolutely comfortable. And what, what's your bike. normal ambient temperature there? I'd say probably seventy-two, something like that. Okay, so Consumer Reports also said their temperature in their offices was seventy-two. And I'm wondering here, how the heck do you make it 116 degrees? You got 100, and you're not alone. I've seen other testers who came up with their measurements, and they came up with about 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what you would expect under normal use and service. So with a little bit of extreme frame <laughs> bending there. So how does Consumer Reports get 16 degrees hotter? I'm not exactly sure what they could have done. We are running at full brightness, playing a, a taxing video game for for 20 minutes, and it just yeah, we didn't really have a didn't really seem to get anywhere near what they did. Now, as I recall. They did two tests of extremes, one with it set to the battery charger, one disconnected. What did you do? Our, mine was disconnected. Okay. When, so, when actually doing the taking the temperature, it was disconnected. Okay. So we expect if you're playing a game, you're probably not going to have it hooked up to a charger. I, you know, I think the iPad's a portable device, so I thought that it would be more real world to test it untethered. Okay. Now, in Consumer Reports' case, they got 113 degrees unconnected, 116 degrees connected. Now, in contrast, you're saying it's running about 10 degrees hotter than the iPad 2. Have you guys tested any other tablets to see how hot they run? Yes. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy 10.1, uh, we got a max reading on the back of 98 degrees. Uh, and then the... That was, and it was the same charging and not charging. Um, the ASUS Transformer Prime, we got a peak temperature of 95. Uh, okay, so 98 to 100 degrees, you can't really tell the difference. No, I don't think so. And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's, they're not alone. It is warmer than the iPad 2, and big people could feel that. How but they, nobody's uh, complaining. I mean, it's strange here that we hear complaints that the iPad runs warm, and then we've got the Samsung Galaxy Tab 10.1 runs just about as warm, or maybe nobody has that one. 
to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> they sold three. Yes. They ship, you know, four million, but they sell three. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to say. I know that there's no bigger target, uh, and the payoff doesn't seem to be quite as big to go after any of those guys or knock them. So that's the only thing I can think of. It's kind of like what happened, for example, with the iPhone 4. Now, we all know other phones had problems with reception being made worse by holding it in a certain way. Some of those phones had labels on the backs of them. Nokia was doing that with some models. Some mention it in the instructions. I think page 13 of one particular HTC smartphone said, don't hold it this way because signal strength won't be as good or something like that. Consumer Reports only wanted the iPhone to fail. And it looks like they went after this with a vengeance, wanting this to fail. And, of course, even their reviewer had to say, you know what, it was warm, but not too warm. Yeah, I, I beat... When I tested, um, I just took the backside of my MacBook Pro and I started, I was playing a game and I tried to see how hot I could get it. And I got about 110 degrees. 110 degrees felt pretty warm on my lap. Um, so I can't imagine 116. 116 doesn't sound comfortable, honestly. Uh, it feels like it would be on the, or on the edge of being comfortable. So it is a little weird that they would find this very hot, you know, higher temperature than anybody else, but then also say that 116, you know, didn't feel uncomfortable. Maybe they're living in a different reality. They said that 120 degrees is the line of demarcation between hot and too hot. Now, what about these notebooks? I mean, the early editions of the MacBook and the MacBook Pro were pretty hot, especially on the bottom portion that's why they stopped calling them laptops, because <laughs> if your legs were bare, don't use one of those because it was running too hot. So now they only call them notebooks. Interesting. Hadn't put, the, hadn't put two and two together on that one, but yes, I can see where uh, it could get uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, uh, even though they're not called laptops, I see plenty of people using them on their laps. And running at temperatures much hotter than 100 degrees. But in your experience here, the Mac Pro was hotter. The current MacBooks, MacBooks Pros, MacBook Air, whatever, the ones in the last couple of years, you haven't seen any severe heat problems, have you? No. I mean, the, the, only, the only problem I've seen is, uh, is I mean, I, that, that, you know, the fans coming on or, you know, trying to keep that internal temperature down, you see, we've seen, you know, like some of the MacBook Airs processors kind of drop down and uh, so that, that drop their load a little bit so that they don't run as hot, so the internal temperature uh, doesn't overheat. And so basically, if you tax the computer because you're running a frame-intensive game, if it runs too hot, the fans come on, and if they still need to make it cooler, the processors slow down. Yeah. Okay, so it's a progressive way of handling power management. Here's my favorite reminder. If you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, write us. News at TechNightOwl.com. Once again, that's news at TechNightOwl.com. And check out our forums, forum.TechNightOwl.com. The manager we're talking to here is the lab director of Macworld Magazine, Jim Galbraith, over at Macworld.com or on your favorite newsstand. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live.
Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service fast free same day shipping and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lesig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com lesig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker will i have garlic breath after i take lec we get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent, boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C.
we'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have Jim Galbraith, Lab Director of Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we started focusing on the heat tests of the new iPad or iPad 3 or iPad 3rd generation, however you wish to refer to it. And the conclusion over at Macworld is it runs warmer, but not too warm, and certainly not much warmer than competing tablets running Android. So it's a non-issue. Let's write some more articles about it. Well, we'll do seven (laughs) or eight more shows. Our next guest, Daniel Aaron Dilger, will talk about this more in the conspiratorial sense, you know, wanting to make Apple look bad. And that kind of goes to the column that you run in Macworld, Macalope, where he's showing where some members of the media just will denigrate Apple for real or specious reasons. And it gets to be kind of crazy. But you don't know who the Macalope is officially. I do not. Even unofficially, I don't know. Maybe I'm dim. But I don't know who it is. So he doesn't come in there with a bag over his head like the Unknown Comic. No. So he's not Murray Langston, who is the Unknown Comic. He's not. Okay. He doesn't come in and sell bag jokes. So basically, you communicate with him on the phone with a fake voice or by email, but he doesn't write to you. Right. You're not in his contact list. That's correct. (laughs) Seriously speaking, let's look at the other tests here. And you were telling me that... You're doing more intense battery tests on the new iPad, largely get a realistic way or measurement of how well it works and how it compares with the iPad 2. What have you found so far? Depending on the test, I can get the the new iPad to last 10 hours, just as Apple's specifications state. Uh, And that's good. So watching a movie uh, set to about half brightness, connected to the Wi-Fi and just looping a movie, uh, I can get 10 hours out of the uh, iPad, the new iPad. Apple specs also say, if you look, you're trying to make a purchasing decision between the iPad, the new iPad and the iPad 2, uh, they say they both get about 10 hours worth of battery life. The interesting thing is if I run the same test, that half brightness test, uh, on the iPad 2, it'll last 13 hours. So it's a little bit more. 10 versus 13. Right. That's, that's more than a little bit. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's, I would say that's a, a decent amount of uh, longer battery life. And now, now let I, me ask you a question here. Yeah. And this would be interesting. Is this based on the current tests of an iPad 2 or the one you did originally, thinking maybe production enhancements may have changed that figure? I've been running these tests all this week. And this is a new iPad 2 or one that's been it's around for a while? not a new iPad 2. It's not a brand new iPad 2. It hasn't been used too much. So if anything, you would think its battery life would have gone down a little bit, not up. Now, that's an interesting question here. There's a little bit of mumbo-jumbo that you have to go through to get the maximum battery life from one of these lithium-ion-type batteries. As I understand it, when you first hook it up, you want to charge it all the way to 100%. And then let the thing discharge completely till it stops working and repeat that test every month or two. Is that correct? Well, that, that helps to calibrate the power management software so it knows when, 
when the battery is fully charged and when it's you know running out, it helps to kind of condition the battery and, and do that as well to help to make sure that when it says it's at 90%, it's really at 90%. When it's really at 100%, it's at 100%. But yes, we've probably run this test. It's been charged and discharged uh, the new iPad probably eight or nine times at this point. So it's not just conditioned, it's conditioned. Yes, uber conditioned. Super conditioned. So you do this with any of these devices. Yeah, so we did that. And uh, if we do the max brightness test instead of the down or on half brightness, uh, there's an even bigger uh, difference as far as battery life. Uh, We only got, what, five hours and 40 minutes with the new iPad running a movie full brightness and eight hours and 30 minutes with the iPad 2 running at full brightness. And, of course, we're talking about very much heftier power requirements. We're talking about a bigger battery. And maybe when Apple did the benchmarks, they had less fudge factor here. So the fudge factor of the iPad 2 was enough to claim 10 hours, knowing you'll get 12 or 13 under normal use and circumstances. With this one, they just made it. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I could see why they would pick 10 for the iPad, the new iPad. You know I want to call it the iPad 3. I have to stop myself every time. Well, you know, I had a conversation with Adam Inkst about this. Yeah. And we sort of agreed. And I don't know what he's doing since then. I haven't checked him out, and I haven't disciplined him or spanked him since. To say iPad 3, because calling it each and every day the new iPad gets kind of ridiculous. Every day it gets a little less uh, true, as we call so it So now new it's iPad. the almost new iPad. Yeah. And next year it'll be the old iPad and the new new iPad. Right, the old new iPad. I'm getting dizzy. Let me hit my head against the wall because it feels so good when it stops. <laughs> but you're still doing the test. You're not finished. We're just about done. I mean, we, uh, we tried doing it with uh, charging it to 100% and then a little bit more because there's been some reports that you get more battery life if you do that. Yeah, we're just we're getting right there at eight, uh, 10 hours for the iPad 3, we're going to call it right now, and uh, 13 plus for the, for the iPad 2. There was a quote, I think, over at All Things Digital from one Apple product person saying that this strange variance in whether it's 100% but not fully charged or not is due to a design that allows you to keep it on the charger indefinitely. And so the quality or level of the charge goes up and down even if it's reporting 100%. It's kind of like charging, slightly discharging, and charging again within a small range. Am I correct? Yes. It shouldn't matter too much. And they also said that when it says 100%, that means that it's at, we're not sure exactly who said what, because the way the the quotes are attributed. But it seems that when you get to 100%, when the battery indicator says 100%, you'll get that 10 hours worth of battery life out of it. If you continue to let it charge, you might get even more out of it. It just depends on how it's going. It's it's a calculation where it thinks it's about 100%, so it starts to drop the power draw from the charger, uh, and then it continues to draw a little bit more and discharging and charging and discharging so that you don't blow up your battery and that you don't damage your battery. This raises a bigger question here, which is maybe it's worth sticking it on the charger for overnight and then see if the battery life changes. Yes, we've been, well, we've done that. And so, yeah, we've, 
But the problem is it's a 13-hour test <laughs> on some of these things. And that's, uh, that's, that's it's difficult to, uh, to do that. And, uh, it's, you know, when we do battery tests on a laptop, uh, Apple is kind enough to include a loop function on their QuickTime player for the Mac OS. There is no such function on the iPad. So It's manual labor all the time. Yes, Where do we find more of this stuff that Jim Galbraith writes about? I would look for it at Macworld.com. There's the place. Jim Galbraith, Lab Director of Macworld. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Now Live. Thanks, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. This, folks, is a revelation. No more wall warts for charging your USB devices, including your iPads, iPhones, iPods, Android cell phones, USB chargeable cameras, and more. Power to you replaces the standard AC outlet and gives you two high-power USB ports and two AC outlets. To get one, go to MaxSales.com slash power to you. That's MaxSales.com. Power number two, letter U. Check it out. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. What if pain could be reduced, ailments could be alleviated, physical and mental stress could be eased, and blood circulation increased, all by simply lying down? Introducing the original Biomat. The Biomat is an FDA-registered medical device that combines deep, penetrating infrared space-age technology and revitalizing negative ions with the incredible healing power of amethyst crystals. A Biomat can boost your immune system, relieve pain and stiffness, reduce stress and fatigue, and assist in detoxifying your body. Join the thousands of people reporting relief from chronic pain, fibromyalgia, arthritis, sports injuries, insomnia, and much more. Each Biomat comes with a lifetime trade-in and three-year warranty. Learn more at bio-mats.com, spelled B-I-O-M-A-T-S.com, or call 360-944-8692. That's 360-944-8692. Visit bio-mats.com today and enhance your life with a Biomat. Do you know which 37 crucial food items are going to fly off the shelves when the next disaster hits? If you don't, you and your family may be without food and waiting in long food lines after a big disaster strikes. You would be surprised how many people don't have these food items right now. 123survivalplan.com has set up a For Patriots Only video with inside information on the 37 food items that will sell out first when the next disaster strikes. The video on 123survivalplan.com has crucial information you and your family need to prepare for any disaster, natural or man-made. And you won't have to be afraid of going hungry or being sent to a FEMA refugee camp. See the video that over one million other smart patriots have already seen in the last four months. Prepare now. Go to 123survivalplan.com and learn which 37 food items you should hoard. Easy to remember. 123survivalplan.com. Again, that's 123survivalplan.com. 
If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. And we're going to focus on a number of those hot button issues involving Apple Incorporated, Microsoft, Google, etc., etc. And getting started, of course, is Heatgate. And we talked about this with Jim Galbraith at Macworld, where they did tests of the new iPad, found it didn't run too hot. Now, you had a pretty thorough review over at Apple Insider, Daniel. Did you attempt to measure it for heat generation? I, um, I don't have a thermometer that I set up. I reported on uh, there were tests done by both CNET and PC World that I saw, and then Consumer Reports. They kind of did initial findings. Okay, now, what I noticed here is that most everybody who did the test, they came up with what? 100 degrees fully stressed, give or take, right? So basically, the temperatures that most of them measured was 100 degrees, give or take. Now, yeah. subjectively, in handling the unit under different types of stress and non-stress, did it feel that warm to you? No, it never really gets warm. And you have to remember, I mean, 100 degrees sounds kind of hot because usually when you think of temperatures, we think of ambient temperature, like how hot it is outside, and 100 degrees is a pretty warm day. But, you know, your body temperature is almost 100 degrees. It's 97.6 or something like that. 98.6. But you have to know, I live in Arizona where 100 degrees is winter weather. Well, it's 100 100 degrees is hot everywhere else. (laughs) I know. You live on another planet, and that's the way it goes. But... um, these temperatures, even even the highest temperature that Consumer Reports found, which I think was 115 or something like that, 116, yeah, 116. Um, that that again, that sounds hot for a day. But if you're holding something, um, even in their reports, they said it didn't feel uncomfortable. It wasn't like it was burning. It, it said they said they didn't even feel uncomfortable to hold for you know a short period of time. And PC World. I, um, PC World and CNET both compared it to different devices. I think PC World compared it to other tablets, like Android tablets, of the same kind of specifications and found that it ran about the same temperature. And CNET, I think, compared it to notebooks. So they compared it to a MacBook Air doing the same tasks, and the Air actually runs a little bit hotter, I think. And then they compared it to another PC doing gaming, which is you know more intensive, and it got quite a bit hotter. Um, but even so, to be... 
to be to feel hot, to feel uncomfortably hot, it has to be quite a bit higher. You remember the McDonald's case about the co- hot coffee? That wasn't 100 degree coffee. That was almost 200 degree coffee. I think right. they were now you have to think when you go to Starbucks, degrees. yeah, 180 degrees, something like that. You go to Starbucks, and you get a cup of Java. We're not talking about iced coffee for seven dollars a pop. Now we're talking about regular coffee. It's certainly more than 120 degrees, and Consumer Reports says that it has to be over 120 degrees to feel really hot. Once again, like in Arizona in the summer. Yeah, and it, there's a big difference between holding a device and you know. If you're drinking hot coffee, it is, I believe it's around 120 degrees is hot. And when they sued McDonald's, when the woman sued McDonald's, it was a scalding coffee. It was really hot. And the case on that matter is that if it had been 140 degree coffee, it, there wouldn't have been a lawsuit. I mean, that's what they, that's what the plaintiffs wanted the coffee to be, some, something reasonable. So 140 degrees for something that you're putting in your mouth. If you're holding something, 115 degrees isn't very hot, particularly because, I mean, this isn't, also, if you remember how they're how they're gauging these temperatures, is they're pointing an infrared thermometer at it, which um, the there's temperature zones on the iPad that get hotter. So if you're charging it, it's hotter around. I think the the transformer and the charging system. Um, usually, the hottest spot is right on the Apple logo in the back. So the where you hold an iPad is typically by the side. So you're not even getting the hottest part around your hand. Um, you know, if you're holding in your lap, even even with a laptop, even with older laptops that got hotter, it's really not a big issue to have it on your lap. Or, you know, if it is hot, you hold it up a little bit. It's it's really one of these things where they're just really desperately trying to find something to talk about. And that's interesting because if that's the biggest thing you can complain about the iPad, that indicates there's not a lot to complain about. Well, you can say it runs one degree hotter than a Samsung Galaxy 10.1 which is about what it does. And the problem I have with all these tests is, how does Consumer Reports get a much hotter temperature than anyone else? Well, one of the things they did, they had it charging, and they had it playing a game for like two hours. So, I mean, they were really stressed testing, trying to find a temperature. So, I mean, it's like trying to force it to do something that under normal use and service, it probably would never do. I know yeah, with I mean, cars they do this, they'll have emergency handling tests to make sure that in some extreme condition, you want to swerve to avoid hitting a child in the roadway. You don't want to overturn your vehicle. And some vehicles do overturn, and thus Consumer Reports calls them out on it. And then, of course, you always find the automakers fix it. But we're not talking about a car being forced to engage in an extraordinary maneuver because it has to sidestep a road obstacle or something. We're talking about a portable computer, and the question is simply, is it too hot to the touch or not? And, and the other thing kind of a, along with that is, you know, Consumer Reports does a lot of kind of standard tests on cars, but I've never heard of reports of how hot a device was before. I mean, this is just something that came up with the latest iPad. And right, that's interesting, too. How often when they do you apply see that test? Stuff? When they apply the test to other devices, they find out there's really no difference. But they they didn't report that initially. They didn't report, yeah, this is the same thing as everything else. They said, oh, wow, this is like 115 degrees. That's a percentage of degrees difference. I mean, this is meaningless information. It's very similar to the AntennaGate thing that they helped kind of perpetuate last year where they found something that they could talk about that wasn't really a problem for, I mean, the majority of people. I mean, the, it only really showed up in the United States because AT&T's signal was so bad. And 
really blew it out into an, an issue. And it wasn't, here's a problem compared to other devices. It's not as good. It's, here's a problem that we're not comparing to anything else because there's nothing else that's really significantly different. I mean, if you hold it a certain way, if you block signal with your hand, it's, that's how it works on any phone. So, I mean, the, the biggest problem I have with it is not that they're subjecting it to, to some excessive test, but that they're exclusively suge- exposing it to a test and they're not providing context. Well, you should test every phone like that. But I think part of the problem is they were thinking that if you could make the iPhone 4 fail, holding it just a certain way, that all other phones should fail only that way. And if you happen to move your fingers a little bit differently and they fail, that's not relevant because it's not the same way as the iPhone. They're getting a little bit better because last year, remember, with the antenna gate, they they made this big production about how they could not recommend the iPhone among their list of recommended phones, and they were recommending these other phones that were much worse, you know, in a lot of areas, and in many cases didn't have any better reception, really. This time, you know, they made this kind of sensational story about the temperature, but they didn't say that they couldn't recommend it. And, and really the other thing is also, no tablet you do you recall it? that someone from Consumer Reports went on one of the cable TV shows? I think it was CNBC. Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. And it's starting to talk about the heat and the problem before the thing was even tested. It was telescoping a possible negative rating before they could get away with it. And even then, it looks like, well, their test was too extreme. They had it connected to a case of some sort. So maybe the case of a metal case would also conduct more heat. Well, conducting heat actually would wick the heat away. If you, put, if you have a, a device inside of a plastic case or something where the heat can escape, that's actually worse. And one of the things that I believe it was PC World noted was the Samsung uh, Galaxy tab has a plastic case. And plastic doesn't conduct the heat. So it may feel cooler, but it's actually retaining the heat better. So if there is any problem with devices overheating and you know over time because you know modern like post PC devices don't have very many moving parts anymore. We don't have an optical drive, we don't have a hard disk or anything like that. The parts that are left are most likely going to wear out because of heat. And so if heat is really a problem, it would be a problem based on a device that isn't wicking the heat away. It's basically one of longevity. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes... The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! 
of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it, it certainly does work. That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract. I actually had a huge heart flutter. I was also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep. Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation. After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. I ordered a third bottle of heart and body extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to FakeTV.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to FakeTV.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. With Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider, we're focusing on the non-issue of heat gates. So the issue would be here, of course, if components run too hot, beyond their design temperature range, their thermal limitations, there could be a problem with parts longevity. But even if it's 100 degrees or 110, if that's the way the part is made and that's normal use and service for that part, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you've ever taken apart a computer that's been running for a while, uh, you know, a conventional computer with a hard drive, you pull the hard drive out, it's almost too hot to handle. 
because that thing is spinning 5,000, 7,000 RPM or faster, it gets really, really hot. It's amazing that they can survive for three or four years, which is you know usually when they start to die, uh, just spinning all the time and dealing with this tremendous amount of heat. With the iPad and other devices like that, there's really not those moving parts, so there's much less to go to go bad on them. And at the same time, people don't really expect tablets to last forever. So, I mean, I think I don't I don't think heat will really be an issue in in terms of how long a, a device lasts. Because it, you know, I've had computers that have sat around for ten years, and they get obsolete far faster than anything dies apart from the hard drive. Sometimes the battery goes bad. So you replace these parts and kind of live forever. The, the other chips don't really usually die. So yeah, on, on almost every facet that you can examine, it, it's, it's a complete non-issue. Right. I think also if it was really hot to the touch, Apple would know about it. And I'm sure Apple tested the new iPad against the competition and said, well, it runs about the same temperature. Who's going to complain about this? Well, as soon as Mac users or iPad users complain, Consumer Reports was trolling for a headline. Now, in general, though, Consumer Reports seems to have it okay with cars in terms of safety tests. They still haven't figured out how to test tech gear because it's all about specs, bullet point specs. They never, ever test the operating system, usability, ergonomic stuff like that. It's the buttons. Okay, it's got this button, that button. The spec is this, that's it. Yeah, and Consumer Reports has always been about telling people that they really didn't need features. A lot of devices from cars to appliances, you know, you have the basic usability in the mainstream product, and then they have these fancy versions with, you know, motorized everything and little extra features that are trying to convince people to, to pay up. And a lot of those features are, you know, they're not great. They they result in things breaking in the future, you know, longer shorter lifespan, things like that. So, I mean, I think that's what Consumer Reports is really geared toward is saying, you know, here's the basic thing that does the job. And in the past, they've a lot of times they've focused on um, non-Apple stuff because Apple stuff is kind of like aimed at a more premium target. But with full PC devices, Apple stuff is the same price or less. I mean, if you look at the iPhones, you can buy an iPhone 4 for 99 bucks to get that in an iPhone and an Android phone, you have to um, settle for a, a much cheaper device that was designed you know, quite a long time ago, running a much older version of Android. And the newest Android phones are usually more expensive than the iPhone 4S. And with tablets, it's like there's nothing really cheap within an iPad apart from the, the super cheap you know, Kindle Fire type stuff that is very clearly a you know, much lower quality product. And the other the other issue I think that they're working with is they've always been a magazine, and now they're dealing with how do we get attention in a world where people don't wait for information that comes out on a monthly basis. You know, we expect things right away, and a lot of websites are really oriented around grabbing the headline of the day. And to do that, you have to say something sensational, or you know, you have to say something that really grabs people's attention and overshadows everyone else's kind of more factual stuff. And if you see who's grabbing the headlines, it's it's people that are good at making up things that sound bigger than they really are in a lot of cases. Well, we won't get into political discussions that get to be pretty incendiary, <laughs> but certainly we see a lot of incendiary stuff, especially about Apple. And then you see all these rumors that Apple's going to have a five-inch, what, 
iPod Touch or a 7.85-inch tablet because the pixel orientation using the same resolution as the iPad 2 would allow Apple to offer it without forcing developers to change anything. What is this all about? Well, it, you know, it's kind of like Apple TV screens. There's people that just really like to predict certain things. And there's people that have always predicted a 7-inch iPad. And it doesn't seem that it's really in Apple's benefit to create a 7-inch iPad because it would basically be a... There would be the problems that Apple's always described with 7-inch iPads. It would basically you're, you're, be you're a fat iPod too touch. It would be a fat iPod touch again. Yeah, I mean, like I've I've kind of pointed out several times that it makes more sense for Apple to create a big iPod Touch, particularly aimed at games. You know, th- that's what the Kindle Fire is. So if Apple's going to compete with Kindle Fire, they're not going to scale down the iPad. They're going to scale up the iPad iPod Touch. You know, they call it a games device or something. Um, will the iPhone get bigger? It might get a little bigger, but I don't think Apple will go after these big screen um, Android phones that are, you know, around five inches or more. Um, you know, it's not clear. Maybe, I don't. I don't know exactly what people are buying, but the main reason that that Android phones are getting big is not because people are demanding that. It's because they were using first generation LTE chipsets and they required so much space that you had to make a bigger phone. And if you have a huge phone, you might as well put a big screen on it. So it wasn't really let's make a product that's really excellent that works really well. It's let's just do whatever we can to add another feature to it. And if that requires ending up with a gigantic phone that just looks ridiculous, then let's do that. And, you know, Samsung is selling those. They've sold, I think, 5 million of those um, notes, I think they're called. It has a, a stylus and, and, you know, a huge screen on it. It's a huge phone. It looks like a Kindle Fire almost. But I don't think that's what people really want because people are buying tens of millions of iPhones. Um, well, the thing is that you feel the screen is a little too small, just move it closer to your face. And the other thing is, which is more important, is usability. So you have the 5-inch smartphone, a bigger case so it doesn't fit in your shirt pocket, doesn't fit in your pants pocket unless you're a clown. You know, So there is this convenience and usability. At some point, you can't make it much larger. It's already kind of big. How much larger do you expect it to be before all the other considerations of convenience go out the window? Yeah, I don't think Apple's going to make a Newton-sized phone, but at the same time, I think there is room for them to make a larger iPhone, a larger option. I think that would appeal to some people. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to be as traumatically big as like a, the Galaxy Note. I mean, that, that just looks kind of ungangly. But, I mean, you could certainly make the iPhone a little bit bigger. I remember the first time I saw an iPhone, I was like, holy cow, this is tiny. <laughs> but um, it's fine for me. I have pretty good eyesight. You know, I, I was talking to my mom. She just got a new iPhone, and she was saying, you know, the type is kind of small to see. So, I mean, there there's certain people that would like to have a, a larger screen, on their phone, and that's something Apple may go after. I just don't think it's going to be in the area of seven inches. I mean, certainly not for an iPad, and you know, certainly not for an iPhone. Yeah, I don't know that the world is clamoring for it. I think you do see some people talk about it because product reviewers say, "Well, it's bigger; it must be better." But no, and as I said, if it's a little too small for you, just bring it closer to your face. That's what I do. You know, remember when I take my eyeglasses or contact lenses off at night? I don't see all that well, folks. And the only way I can do it with an iPhone, I'm doing it right now. 
Okay, because my eyes are irritated today, so I have my eyeglasses. And there's a point about five, six inches from my face where my iPhone 4S is pretty clear. A little bit farther, it's blurry. So if the lettering is too small, I just bring it a little bit closer, like maybe three inches away, it's perfectly sharp. So I think it's not just how big the screen is, but how you hold it that counts. Yeah, and Apple's really done, it's not really publicized, but Apple's done a really amazing job that if you've only ever used iOS devices, you don't know this, but um, of making text readable. When you're on a website, on a, you know, the iPhone has a pretty small screen, the iPod Touch. You double-click on stuff, it just magically fits the screen and looks really great. Try to do that on a Kindle. Try to do that on an a Android phone. It's miserable. You try to. You can't just double tap something to have it optimize the size. Yeah, it just doesn't doesn't work well. That fluidity of the interface. This is another thing that a magazine like Consumer Reports doesn't get. They look at the specs and they say, "Well, this has to be better," or they have some can benchmark where it might be better, and they say this is a superior product. But they never talk about the operating system, the convenience, the ease of use, how snappy everything is. Because implementing a touch interface and making it work well is not easy. Here's my favorite reminder. If you have a comment or a question about the Tech Night Owl Live, write us. News at TechNightOwl.com. Once again, that's news at TechNightOwl.com. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live, winding down the final hour of the Tech Night Owl Live. And we're focusing now on the other issue not talked about sometimes, and maybe far too often, which is the operating system. It's the system, stupid, that kind of thing, where, as you say, everything works smoothly on the iPhone, even the first one. You know, a much slower processor. Obviously, things opened a little slower. The flourishes you see now, you couldn't duplicate there. But everything was still smooth and pretty snappy. And that's a problem with a lot of these other devices. Yeah, it wasn't actually until last year that Android got 
hardware acceleration that you know the iPhone had from the beginning. And so whenever you resize things, it was kind of like Windows XP or you know Windows from the 90s, where everything was just drawn as it was being resized. So it looks kind of jerky. It's just not as fluid and nice. And I think a lot of people are seeing that more so than, you know, in the 90s, I remember looking in why weren't people buying Macs as opposed to PCs. And part of it was that Macs were kind of significantly more expensive. And part of it was that people who only saw Windows PCs didn't see a difference. And it's so much different today that people can see whatever they want. I mean, you can go to any store and play with both of them and see immediately which one gives you the, the nicer interface. And so I think it's becoming less spec-driven, and people are responding more to the, the usability of the interface and the, you know, the quality of the product, and they're seeing that for themselves. It's kind of interesting. I, I just wrote up the thing about Google's revenues. You know, yeah, I just pulled that up. This is an article he wrote this week at AppleInsider.com, and we're talking about Android and Google and Apple and the iOS, and you have to wonder just where is Google hoping to make its money? Not from Android, believe it or not. The headline is, by the way, Google earns 80% of its mobile revenue from iOS, just 20% from Android. seems to me that Google ought to give up Android and just focus more on the iOS. Well, Google, Google got into Android, if you remember. It wasn't as a response to Apple, because they actually started the project before Apple released the iPhone, it was really in response to Windows Mobile. And they, they were, at the time, uh, if you remember with Vista, Microsoft was pushing to kind of force everyone that was using Vista to use their own Microsoft Search, Bing, and that kind of stuff. And Google was terrified. They were, they were thinking that they were going to get the same kind of treatment that Apple got in the 90s, with Microsoft just coming in and taking away their business. And, and making it the only option on Windows, which they had a monopoly on. And so Google was terrified that that same thing was going to happen not only to, on the desktop, but on the emerging smartphone market. Because Microsoft already had, you know, like 20% of the U.S. phone market, smartphone market, that was quite small at the time. But they were also getting ready to push it further and further. And so Google did two things. One is that they started working on Android as a way to kind of displace it, kind of make an, an Android or a, um, a Linux competitor to, you know, Windows on the smartphone. Now, parenthetically, time, though, isn't the project originally to develop Android kind of a split off from the dangerous sidekick project that Microsoft got involved in when they bought that company? Well, that's where it originated from. I mean, the, the guy that developed danger smartphones, which were the, you know, sidekick things on T-Mobile, they were running Sun's Java basically. So it's split in two directions. The, basically, the, the creating team, which included Andy Rubin. Who, by the way, used to work at Apple. Yeah, he got started at Apple. So he, he created Danger. Uh, he was one of the co-founders. And then he went and started his own company called Android. And that's what Google bought, and Google turned it into its own Android thing. But at Android, what happened was they got away from using Java by changing it just enough so they didn't have to pay Sun or Oracle bought Sun now. They didn't have to pay licensing for Java technology. Yeah, that was their their goal. And so what it ended up with was what Microsoft bought was kind of the old technology that they basically transitioned the business into their Windows Mobile stuff and you know the can and it just completely died. But the part that Google took over started morphing into 
a basically a Linux alternative to Windows Mobile. But after the iPhone came out, Google saw, oh, well, we should be doing this. And, you know, they had their CEOs on the board of Apple, so they kind of knew what Apple was doing in a lot of respects and really closely copied the iPhone and also copied Apple TV and, you know, were trying to copy um, the iPad when it came out. And so Apple or Google's going after Apple to, to do what they're doing because they know that it works. But what's interesting is that in the, in the lawsuit between Oracle and, and Google, because Oracle is now suing Google for using Java without paying licensing, Google is indicating that they're only making, they've only made over, across four years, from 2008 to 2011, they only made $550 million from Android. And that's the figure they're saying that they would pay, you know, if they're found guilty, they would pay on that. In contrast, you know, last year alone, they said they were making a billion dollars, they plan to make a billion dollar run rate from mobile devices. And in the future, they thought they were going to be making two and a half billion dollars annually. And people thought that they were talking about Android money. But no, they were talking most of that is coming from iOS. Because only 550 million across four years, that's a fraction of the, Google's making a relatively small amount of money compared to the amount of money it makes on the desktop from mobile devices. But the amount of money it's making from Android is a sliver of that. So if that's the case, why bother? It's not an income generator. They spent, what, billions of dollars to acquire Motorola Mobility to get a hold of patents. Don't you think it's kind of a big mess for them? Yeah, um, there may be more Android devices being activated than iOS devices these days. But is that going to make a difference in the long haul if it doesn't deliver substantial revenues? Well, you can say the same thing about Microsoft. You know, why did Microsoft spend billions and billions and billions of dollars developing the Xbox? It was because they didn't want Sony taking away gaming and killing gaming on the PC. And yet, you know, in the however many years they've made Xbox 360, they have only started to break even recently. They're not going to be making lots and lots of revenue on, you know the now almost obsolete 720p Xbox, and it's, you know, everyone's talking about the motion controller for it. It's cool, but um, console games are kind of running out of steam. So they've spent so much money to, you know, get a foothold into an, in a business that's not growing like it used to. Same thing with PCs. You know, you can look at all these companies and say, why don't you just bail out? But what do they have to bail into? What is Google going to do? It's completely getting all of its money from desktop search. Or it's not really search, it's paid placement of ads and search results. So what happens when devices start moving, which they are very clearly doing, to this post-PC device? If people are using iPads and using iPhones or you know anybody else's smartphones to do searches, they're not doing it on the desktop. And if they're using apps, then they're not using the web anyway. Not directly, in a way that Google can monetize. So Google really realizes that it's has its, you know, it's putting all its weight on its foot in the past and it needs to be involved in this mobile stuff. And you can see why it wouldn't want to be completely under the control of Apple. But it was doing a lot better when it was the Apple's preferred partner in iOS. So basically it would be changing. Apple and Google hand in hand leading the world against Microsoft. Well, I mean, that's kind of how the iPhone debuted because it was powered by a lot of services. I mean, a lot of the things that made the iPhone really great, I mean, one of, the, one of the coolest things on it was Maps. 
And Apple still can't ditch Google because Google makes the best maps. But at some point it can. Because if Apple keeps working on maps and Apple's making tens of billions of dollars on the, on the iPhone, they're selling the hardware, they're getting money from the biggest app store, they're making all the money. Google's making almost nothing. Google's, Google's ad revenues is $550 fig, million dollar figure over four years. It comes from not just um, ad display ads, but also app sales. And you know, Apple's, or Google's not selling that many Android apps to start with. So Google's finding itself in a problem position. Well, there is no app market really for Android. I mean, you hear about software, it's available in the App Store, it's available for Android, but mm, they're not the same. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Say, wouldn't it be great if that computer keyboard sitting on your desk also worked with your iPhone? Sending a text message would be lightning fast. This is exactly the idea behind the Matthias One keyboard for iPhone and Mac. You just need to experience it once to see how incredibly fast and convenient it really is. It's also available for the PC and BlackBerry. Visit onekeyboard.com slash TNO. Once again, onekeyboard.com slash TNO. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals, are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify 
identify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with Wise Foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit Big B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Introducing a Diabetes Breakthrough, an easy, natural, organic way to bring relief to diabetics. Introducing MDS Forte, a concentrated super strength extract formulated for those who are looking for relief. What can MDS Forte do for you? MDS Forte reduces glucose levels safely and effectively, reduces cholesterol and triglyceride levels, increases HDL or good cholesterol while reducing LDL or bad cholesterol. MDS Forte reduces A1C, improves eyesight and circulation to the limbs, and helps with weight loss. Is non-toxic, caffeine-free, 100% natural, 100% organic, and comes with a 100% money back guarantee waiting for the side effects disclaimers with mds forte there are none order a 25-day treatment of mds forte by calling 213-405-5355 213-405-5355 or visit bestbloodsupport.com that's bestbloodsupport.com for mds forte a diabetes breakthrough welcome back to Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. He's got to update that more often. We're talking to him about that. Of course, AppleInsider.com, where you see so many of his reviews, extensive, detailed reviews that few other publications ever do. Like, look at his review of the new iPad. The detail, all the photographs, you'll know more about that product other than actually having one. Maybe then you'll know more. So we go back to Google. I understand Apple did buy one or more map services in recent years, and they're moving towards them more and more. Is that correct? Yeah, they bought a number of services. There's, I think it was PlaceBase. And some of these, they weren't just like straight out Google Map competitors. They were presenting features that you could overlay certain kinds of information on maps. So they're making a lot of strategic purchases, and it's not wasn't really clear what they were trying to do from the start. Um, one of the things is, you know, Google was making improvements to their own map projects with one of the most obvious ones was um, maps navigation, where you get turn-by-turn, almost GPS-style map directions through Google Maps. And Apple never adopted it. And it kind of becomes, you know, it's becoming increasingly obvious that Apple is not adopting Google's new stuff because they plan to replace it, I think. So instead of keeping adopting, you know, features that that Google's pushing, they're working on their own thing. And in the new iPhoto apps for for iPad and iPhone, there's a mapping system that instead of showing Google Maps, it shows mapping information that appears to be from um, there's an open open source maps project that Apple's taking some data from and so it, it's not really clear exactly what what the finished step is going to be but they're making steps toward independence from Google Maps which is a big deal because right now I mean I looked at maps from other places and Google Maps is the best maps. I mean I like them the best for, for doing things 
And replacing that is a huge task. I mean, Google spent a lot of money. I mean, after they acquired the, the basis for Google Maps, they've invested billions of dollars into making it a really high-quality product. And so, it, you know, it cost Apple the same amount to, to re- replicate that. I mean, if you look at Bing Maps, they're, they're in the process of replicating it. It's still not quite there. And it's not just the Google Maps client that Apple created in iOS. Apple's also made a lot of support for third-party applications to put Maps in their apps. And a lot of that is contingent upon Google Maps being there. So it will be interesting to see how how long it takes Apple to separate itself from this kind of dependence on Google Maps. But you see it kind of happening, and not just with Maps, but with other things. I mean, Apple created their own ad network, and they've created a number of their own services. You know, Siri is a huge example. They didn't adopt Google Voice. They could have. They could have tapped into Google services. But they're increasingly building their own stuff so that they're not dependent on Google. And, you know, so Google can't turn around and stab them in the back, take off in their own direction. So, I mean, it's kind of odd that Apple isn't moving faster because they have so much money (laughs) that they don't know what to do with it. And um, I guess they're just really cautious about how quickly they move in a certain direction. They don't want to waste money doing doing stuff. But if you look around the industry, there's a lot of companies that have spent a lot of money in developing something that's like an okay product that they don't have an audience for. Apple has a hungry audience for anything they can make. Oh, by the way, there's a survey out this week. Did you see this? That over 50% of the people in the U.S. own at least one Apple product. Over 50%. That's pretty big. I, I think that survey, I didn't look at it really closely, but it seemed like it was kind of tilted towards people who would be more likely to be Apple customers. I mean, it was kind of like savvy, younger audience of, of people. Um, it's kind of one of those things where they pick out statistics and they sound really amazing, and then you realize, oh, they've kind of crafted them to sound that way. Sort of, but it looked but to me like was if you look at the key area where Apple has the most support, it was even higher than 50%. That was an overall figure. Certain segments, certain demographics were actually much higher. So if you're talking about young people, upwardly mobile, college educated, 50% is low to them. Yeah. Yeah, Apple has really shifted its, its you know, broadened its appeal with not just, not just developing Macs, but, you know, clearly with the iPhone and now with the iPad, they're, it's just immensely popular too a much larger target than they ever could have before. And that's changing what kind of products they make. I mean, Apple's kind of backing away from server products now because that's not where they're going to make their money. They're making money from selling devices that people choose, mobile devices and things like that, where where clearly things are going in that direction. I mean, that's where the money is. And so Apple was really on top of knowing what it's doing. So it would be fascinating to see what happens in this this latest golden age of Apple stuff. Well, there's a big issue there, too, with content creators. In the past, they buy loads and loads of Mac Pros. But we haven't seen a Mac Pro update since 2010, and largely because there haven't been new chips from Intel. There are now. So does Apple give up that market, or is that too prestigious to dump? One of the main benefits of the Mac Pro is that you had slots. And the thing that you need slots for is to have a fast enough bus that, you know, even FireWire, certainly not USB, can handle the kind of 
professional applications where you're moving video around really fast or you have you know just a huge disk array you need to you need something like fiber channel to get to talk to it fast enough well with thunderbolt that all changes because thunderbolt is basically a slot as a cable it's pci express over a cable it's, it's crazy fast so you don't need to have a huge box with slots in anymore you can have a slim device with thunderbolt ports on it that you can plug right into professional gear whether it's video or um, video displays. You can have multiple high-quality video displays that are powered by this, you know, crazy fast Thunderbolt cable. So, you know, you can look at it and say, "Wow, you know, they need a a Mac Pro for Pro customers." There's a lot of new things they're going to be able to do that don't necessarily require that same form factor. So, I mean, there I think there are some customers that Apple's going to lose. A minority of, of people that are that have like a very specific need related to that. But you think they're going to discontinue the Mac Pro then? I don't know that they are. If you look at the amount of computers that Apple sells, more than half. I, I think it's like seventy to eighty percent. I'm not sure about that that figure. But the majority of, of Mac sales are now mobile. If you look at their desktop sales, they have grown. So even though the majority of the Macs that they sell are now mobile devices, notebooks, their desktop Mac sales are still growing. But the majority of the, the, the desktop sales they're selling are iMacs. So how much effort, how much money are they going to put into creating a small minority of their users, a desktop system with a bunch of slots in it, and multiple optical drives? I mean, who uses optical drives anymore? But you know what? They don't Everything have to spend much at all. Digital. All they have to do is take that particular design, add Thunderbolt to it, and then just put new processors in it and put no other development money in a Mac Pro to bring it up today. Just a minimal update. But we can talk about that. Daniel Aaron Dilger joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hey, meat eaters, the freeze-dry guy wants to know, does your emergency food supply meet the standards for survival? Then get the 144-day meat variety unit from the freeze-dry guy. 
Our meat units utilize only quality Mountain House freeze-dried cooked ground chicken and ground beef, the undisputed choice for great taste and highest nutrition. The Freeze-Dry Guys 144-Day Meat Variety Unit includes six number 10 cans of the very best freeze-dried animal protein for power you'll need when the going gets tough. Every Meat Eater's 144-Day Meat Variety Unit comes with a free medical kit and always free shipping to the lower 48. Need more than 144 days? See our one-year-plus Meat Eater's units at freezedryguy.com. And hey, the freeze-dry guy still has LRP rations, but they're going fast. Don't wait until tomorrow. Call now, 866-404-3663. That's 866-404-3663. Or go to freezedryguy.com and meet the standards for survival. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for a approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and body extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for long and healthy life. These are strange days indeed, from economic turmoil to weather-related events, and yes, even power outages. Hi everybody, Jason Lewis here. Let me tell you why I use WiseFoodStorage.com. WiseFoodStorage.com provides the most affordable and complete ready-made meals for emergency preparedness and outdoor use. Their entrees like pasta alfredo, savory stroganoff, and apple cinnamon cereal carry a 25-year shelf life and are prepared in minutes simply by adding water. They even provide great-tasting a la carte items like freeze-dried fruits, vegetables, and desserts to ensure that you have more nutrition and energy when you need it most. Visit wisefoodstorage.com today to request a free entree sample and see for yourself why they are the best in the business. For a limited time, enter the promo code LEWIS to get no-cost shipping on any order. That's wisefoodstorage.com or call 1-855-FOODWISE and be sure to mention the promo code LEWIS for a free sample and free shipping on any order. Be wise and be ready with wisefoodstorage.com. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. A couple more segments to go. And we were talking about the Mac Pro, and what I was suggesting here is Apple already has a basic fundamental form factor that works. Okay, so the question would be here is if Apple already has this structure, this form factor, is there any crying need to really spend much money other than the stuff to upgrade the parts inside? That's minimal development dollars. They already have the production lines geared up for it. Just do it out of the cheap. That would probably be enough for the customers. Okay, we've got faster processors bigger hard drives, more solid-state drives, and we have Thunderbolt. That's all we need. Well, you could say the same thing about the X-Serve, but they, they killed that because they weren't selling enough. And 
you know, in some cases, the Mac Pro is sort of a could be a replacement for the XServe, but there were a lot of things about the XServe that made it unique. I mean, that's why it existed was because it was a better form factor for people who are doing, you know, racks of video work or, or, or computational computationally important stuff. And there's a couple of things that Apple has killed that indicate that that's not really the direction they want to go in anymore at all. And with the Mac Pro, yeah, I mean, they could put faster chips in it, and it, it's kind of likely that they will. Because why kill it immediately when you could just, you know, pump up the specs with newer chips? At the same time, it seems more likely that they're going to be making a computer more like the iMac with higher-end specs. And if they could get, you know, a fast enough iMac that had pro-type processing power, which there is a gap between the Mac Pro and the, and the current iMacs, if they it's can make only it an extreme gap. I mean, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, today's iMac max to the limit in terms of memory will be as fast or faster than a Mac Pro. It's only when you're doing stuff that really requires all those extra processor cores, maybe four or five apps, <laughs> that it makes much of a difference. Yeah, I mean, there's some people that only do four or five apps. So, I mean, if you're doing Final Cut video stuff, if you're doing Creative Suite or something where you want things to be going fast and that translates into more profit for your business and more productivity. Certainly there's going to be an increase in speeds from the iMac, but it, there gets to be a point where it's, it, it just seems to make more sense that Apple would be beefing up their iMac or perhaps making a scaled down sort of Mac pro that is smaller and is, you know, re- uses more of the Thunderbolt type strategy as opposed to, having a bunch of slots and having a bunch of optical drives. and things. So it's kind of like scaling it down the sense of you could relate the Mac Pro to the modern-day equivalent, if we go back through Apple history here, of the Macintosh 2. And then Apple came out with kind of a smaller compact version called the 2CX, okay? A compact version. That's why the C was in there. So maybe what Apple should be doing is coming out with a miniature version of the Mac Pro, fewer internal slots because you have Thunderbolt, Maybe not make it as beefy, therefore it's not as expensive, but still you know, a reasonable amount of customization. And maybe that is a way to leverage that technology for a few more years before it's gone forever. Yeah, maybe. Um, if you look back at the Mac II era, you know, late 80s, early 90s, those were computers that, that were pretty quickly getting into the realm of being $10,000 in you know, 10 years, 20 years ago dollars. Today, the Mac Pro is not that much more expensive and the number of people using it are, are are becoming a very small percentage of Mac users. So, I mean, there's a couple ways that Apple could uh, address that market without having the same product. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the company does. Let's move what, to another topic here because I think the Mac Pro probably will be continued, but I still think it's an endangered species over the long haul. And some people have been saying, I'm crazy, but you make a logical argument for Apple phasing it out eventually, if not this generation, the next one. Okay, there is another thing going on here, and it seems that, you know, Apple's always embroiled in arguments these days over intellectual property, new developments, and stuff like that. And there's something being developed now, and maybe you can explain what this means and what this is all about. Because it also is arcane, maybe less so than the lawsuits something called the nano sim this is for smartphones or like an ipad 
What is a nano SIM, and why is Apple having arguments with these other companies like Nokia and Research in Motion over this? Well, the current GSM phones always had a SIM card, and around the time I think it was iPad two came out, maybe it was the original iPad, I can't remember, but they came out with a smaller format that was basically the same SIM card with less plastic on it. So it could just be smaller and you can make smaller devices because you didn't have to have a full-sized SIM card in it. And with the nano SIM, it's just moving a little bit further to making it a smaller card so that you have even less infrastructure to support having this little card in your system. And Nokia and RIM both came up with their own designs that are they're kind of closer to being an SD card. And they slide in and make contacts just like an SD card does instead of being something you put on a little tray and lock into place. The theory being that if you lock it into place, it's less apt to fall out, I guess. Well, um, the original SIM has a card. I mean, like on the iPhone, when you pop out the SIM, it comes out on a, a little carrier. So it's almost like a CD tray. And that's required because if you know the contacts are on one side of it. So it has to lock into place so that the, the contacts are being pressed down on top of it where the, the Nokia and, and the REM designs are more like an SD card where you slide it in and it pushes connectors together when you slide it in. So, I mean, there's, there's a, a certain technical advantage to that, but from Apple's perspective, they're saying, if we just completely change the, how the card works, you're not going to be able to take a new card and put it into an old device. And Nokia and REM, makes the BlackBerry, have never really been big on caring about the devices they've sold already. You know, if you look at both their strategies for putting out software updates, um, they update their new soft, their new hardware. They don't care about people that have owned a phone for more than a few months. Just imagine trying to get the latest and greatest Android operating system ice cream sandwich. What was it? Last time I saw a survey, and it must be a little higher now, was 1.6%. And this is weeks yeah, after it came out. Okay, so the point here is they don't the care about backwards through. compatibility. But then this micro SIM, how would it go into older devices on kind of an extra carrier or what? No, it's just like an SD card where you just you just push it. I'm in. thinking of the Apple. So version. it's just a little bit simpler. Oh yeah, the Apple's design is very similar. It, it's basically just the same thing, but it's scaled down. It, it's kind of the same thing it did with the micro SIM. It's just like another step toward making it smaller. Um, and and yet still being backward compatible, so you could put it in a, you could put it in a, a bigger piece and stick it into an older device, and it would still work because it's the same. The functionality is still there; it's just a smaller physical package. And Nokia is kind of arguing, from what I've read, that Apple is just trying to prevent Nokia from getting revenue on licensing because both I believe both RIM and Nokia on their separate designs have patented certain aspects of it and they plan to license it under Fran terms but they'll get a little bit of revenue from everyone else being forced to use their standard same way that these companies have invented other things from you know aspects of 3G to you know whatever else and they get a little bit of licensing revenue from it and Apple is doing something that's saying Hey, instead of changing everything and paying Nokia or, or RIM to use their design, how about if we just use this? We've already we've already like laid out the design. We have a patent that's related to it. But we're going to give it free to anybody if this becomes a standard. So they're not making money from this. It's not a question of money 
they don't make money if they adopt the standard, but if you adopt the other standards, the companies who license them will see a little bit of income from it. They'll get a check from everybody. Yeah. And so Apple's kind of taking a, Apple's kind of making the same, doing the same strategy that they use behind making WebKit a standard and making um, HTML5 a standard, contributing their IP and saying, here, it's free, you can use it. Now we'll all be on the same playing field. We have this playing field with Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. If you are a sales professional and you love to help people and make money, stop everything and listen to me now. InspectorAudit.com is hiring brokers nationwide. InspectorAudit.com is the primary source for exposing all loan-related bank and servicing fraud. If you're passionate, driven to succeed, and you want to earn real money, then we want you. Call InspectorAudit.com right now at 855-552-9932. InspectorAudit.com, 855-552-9932. Commissions paid daily. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Hi, Ted Anderson. I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. We all know the importance of having storable foods, but what about when the food runs out? 
what then? For real food independence, you need a supply of non-hybrid seeds. Introducing the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. The Survival Seed Vault is sealed for freshness and includes 20 varieties of easy-to-grow non-hybrid seeds for only $37.95. For less than $40, you've got real food independence. And the Survival Seed Vault includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions. Imagine the barter power you'll have when the food supply does collapse. Right now, save $9 instantly when you buy three or more Survival Seed Vaults from MyPatriotSupply.com. Same-day shipping on all orders, plus free shipping on orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness products at MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We're talking about the new SIM design being debated for smartphones and tablets, which have wireless connections for your cell phone carrier. And we have the version from Apple which is kind of just a miniaturized version of what's already there, to be offered royalty-free. And we have totally new designs that other companies are emphasizing, but now it's getting a little nasty, it seems, about what the others are saying, that they're going to start enforcing other patents or something. What's going on here? I haven't read the whole thing on it, but, yeah, I think think both Nokia and Rim are pretty bitter about having – their majority market share taken away. I mean, you know, Nokia used to make everything, and now they're kind of not making anything. Well, you know, Microsoft bumped a ton of money into Nokia's behalf when a former executive from Microsoft went to Nokia, and then within months they're going to license Windows Phone, but we already have the new Nokia devices on sale, and they're going nowhere. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of interesting, you know, Nokia is talking about this partnership with AT&T and how it's going to be the biggest launch ever. Well, how is that going to work out? You can't just you can't just advertise something into the mainstream. If that worked, people would have bought the Zune and people would have bought Windows Phone last year. And, you know, people would have been crazy about Windows Vista. You can't just market things and make people buy them. And no amount of marketing hoo-ha makes people buy things. If you already have a monopoly, like, you know, previous generations of Windows – then, yeah, it's a lot easier. If you already have a very strong position and people like your product and, you know, whatever, if you have some kind of momentum and you have everybody talking about it, a lot of people are buying Android phones. But you can't just throw something out there. And that's what Google learned with Honeycomb tablets last year and with Google TV. You know, no amount of, you know, cheerleading for something and a lot of marketing spend is necessarily going to sell a product if people don't get it. And people have not been getting Windows Phone. And I think... If Nokia and AT&T really go nuts with Windows Phone and it fails, and it probably will, because that has never worked before to just blow a bunch of marketing out, it's going to just put a nail in the face of Windows Phone. It's just not going to recover from that. And I think the same thing is going to happen with uh, Windows 8. Microsoft is gearing up to just go nuts advertising this thing that is really, you know, Windows 7.1 with a layer of Zune on top. And I don't think people are going to go nuts for that. People are Let's kind of make that clear here. We're not talking about an operating system that is a major change. It is simply taking the operating system 
giving it a shave and a haircut, putting this overlay on it. And fundamentally, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, if you look at the new features for Windows 8, it's mostly Metro or applications that relate to Metro. Most everything else isn't that much different. And it's not really clear what the feature boost is. I'm not sure, except that you can boot from a USB drive. And supposedly the same operating system will be present on tablets using ARM processors, but you won't be able to run your standard Windows apps unless they're redesigned. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. I, I really can't see how they're going to pull that off. And if they do, it's like, wow, that's amazing. But I, the, the problem with gambling really big is that you can lose really big. And Microsoft is really in a position where it, it desperately needs to hold on to its stuff. It can't be gambling away its monopoly. And that appears to be what it's doing. And at the same time, I mean, you see Microsoft and you wonder, you know, you have this already monopoly over Windows PCs. Why are you doing such a, a nutty gamble? But if you look at it, Microsoft is also aware of you know, Apple is now selling more iPads per quarter than all of its top five licensees are selling PCs of any kind. They're selling, Apple is selling more iPads than HP is selling all of its computers. And the iPad is only a couple years old. What happens in a couple more years when people start realizing that they don't need to buy a full computer, they can just buy an iPad and it's portable and it's easy to use and they don't have to deal with a lot of complexity. That's going to be really, I mean, Microsoft sees the writing on the wall and they, they know they have to do something. So is this a move of desperation rather than logic, reason, and clever marketing? Well, it was a move of desperation years ago when they first started talking about it. And the fact that they haven't delivered something quickly just makes it worse. And on top of that, what they're talking about, it's getting the same kind of attention as the Zoom got. And that, that's really telling because you have a lot of people, you know, the right PC world or whatever, and they say, wow, this is great potential, whatever, you know, this is so fresh and new and exciting. And you don't see consumers picking it up. That's and an issue. Same thing I'm looking at them. a lot of the people who write about Microsoft and extol their virtues there's a lot of skepticism I'm seeing about Windows 8. Some are saying it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but a lot of the reactions are very mixed. And that's to put it gently. Yeah, it's not clear what the benefit is. And, you know, I was at CNET and I, I sat through the Steve Ballmer keynote. And one of the, you know, one of the primary apps, they didn't really show a lot of apps off. They did show there are some kind of, you know, cool feature ideas about Windows Phone 7 and Windows 8 that are you know, kind of like putting all your contact stuff in one place and things like that. You know, they're, they're like, okay, so that's a, that's a viable strategy to get behind. But what they showed off as being like, oh, this cool new world is they're showing off some app that, you know, some little game like Cut the Rope. I was like, are you kidding? This is like a free iOS app almost. It's like a couple dollars. This is going to be the killer app that's going to push people to buy Windows 8 is because they can buy iPhone apps from two years ago to run on their PC. It's just nuts. It's completely ridiculous. If you want to show off some amazing new version of Office that just drops people's jaw and say, this is what you can do on Windows 8, that would be one thing. If you want to show off something completely new that the world's never seen before, you know, something like GarageBand, um, except that Apple hasn't done already, pull out something that's just amazing. It just looks really cool and fun and say, this is something you can only do with Windows 8. Don't show us iPhone apps from two years ago. What they're doing is making the interface in and of itself the be-all, end-all. Now, yes, Apple's adding iOS applications and features and stuff to 
OS ten with Lion and Better Through Mountain Lion, but other than maybe changing the name and the look of a few things, you could still run, for example, Lion very much like your previous Mac. You can turn off a few of the new features. Mountain Lion's the same thing. You know, a lot of us have had a chance to look at pre-release versions, and those who subscribe to Apple's developer program can't say anything that's under non-disclosure that Apple hasn't disclosed. But what we already know is anything that's in there, other than messages instead of iChat and a few other apps, you can just turn off and use your Mac like you use it now. There is no retraining curve. But with Microsoft Metro, it's like throwing out everything and doing it all over again with a different interface. And so you have people who might be used to running Windows at their office, and suddenly they're confronted with a new interface and they have to undergo retraining. It's not like, you know, a consumer where you spend time. If you're at work, you're talking about production. You have to turn out a certain amount of work, for example. You have to do certain assignments for your boss. Suddenly he gives you a new personal computer with a totally new interface. What is this? I have to be trained. So you have to waste money training them. Where's the benefit in that? Yeah, and that's the thing. They're making Metro. They're not going to push Metro to their corporate users. So the majority of Windows people are not going to be, it's just, it's like this Bob layer that's for consumers. And they're going to try to translate that into ARM tablet sales. But yeah, I mean, if, if Asus and HTC and all these other companies that, that currently make Android tablets can't sell them with Android on them, why are they going to be able to sell them if they have a boiled down version of Windows on them? They couldn't sell them when they had the full version of Windows on them. People are not looking for tablets from whoever with somebody's software on them. They're looking for an integrated device that, that works well, and none of these tablets do. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping you'll get a different result. And Microsoft already failed with this interface on the Zoom, on Windows Phone. How can they possibly succeed? Daniel Aaron Dilger, where do we find more of your stuff? I write for Apple Insider, appleinsider.com, and then um, I have my personal blog at RefleyDrafted.com. I have to get on that and write some more stuff. but We'll have to take care of that, folks. We'll get them to write more stuff. You can find more of my stuff, technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com. You can always find us on Twitter, where we are, Tech Night Owl. That's Tech Night Owl at Twitter. And we also have that other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. It's called The Paracast at paracast.com. Once again, for the other show, it's paracast.com. And you'll find out all sorts of wacky, wild stuff. But here on the Tech Night Owl Live, a special thank you to Daniel Aaron Dilger for joining us on this week's episode. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.